0: So I'm just going to read um, Psalm 133 before we get Josh up. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Just pray for Josh as he comes up to open up God's word to us, Lord. We just thank you for the preparation Josh has done, Lord. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, for the word that um, he's going to bring to us now, Lord. And we, we do pray, Lord, that you will um, bless his lips, Lord, anoint his lips uh, with uh, what you uh, want us to hear today, Lord. We just thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, tonight's Psalm it's it's one of the shortest chapters in the whole Bible actually, as you probably noticed, just three verses. And I think it's got just one simple message really, just a, a short message, and this is what I think it is that it's good and pleasant, as it says, when God's people live together in unity. That's it. Unity in the church. It's good, it's pleasant, it it's, should bring us joy. It's a thing that we delight in as God's people. And so for, for us who can sing the song today, and for those who have been singing it for centuries um, and through history, this is a song that celebrates unity in every sort of way we can imagine. Now, just think about this. If, if you were writing a song today, if you were writing a song about unity, I wonder what sort of pictures or maybe illustrations you might use to help uh, You know, add to the lyrics of of the song, what sort of language might you use? If you were the Apostle Paul, perhaps, and you think about the letters he wrote about unity, he uses this picture of a body, doesn't he? He illustrates the church as a body united in one, many parts, but all one in Christ. That's one picture you could use. Jesus used another picture. Do you remember what, what he talked about when he talked about unity in the church? He talked about a vine, didn't he? A vineyard. And everyone was dwelling in him. And in John 15, you can find that, this picture of the vineyard, and there's unity there. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you'll, you'll bear much fruit, and so on. It's another good picture, these, these pictures of unity. But what is the picture tonight? What does David use here to describe this idea of unity, being united to, to God and, and, and one? Well, firstly, in verse 2, he talks about the idea of oil, doesn't he? Anointing oil, you see. And then verse 3, he talks about dew falling down from the mountains, like water. And when I see these two pictures here, you see oil and you see water. Now, I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking as you see this picture about unity here. That these two pictures, especially today in in our modern mind... These are pictures of something that is almost the complete opposite of unity that you can imagine, isn't it? Oil and water. And yet this is what David chooses to, to illustrate the psalm with. Two things that could almost never be united, oil and water. You know, you see those videos of, of shipwrecks in the sea and the oil tanker spills its oil across the ocean and never mixes in, it never just drains away. The oil just sits on top of that water because they can never mix, can they? They separate. They can never come together. So what do you think David is trying to do here in this psalm as he uses the picture of oil, he uses the picture of water to describe how good unity is among God's people? Well, let's think about it together. Let's, let's look at verse 2 to, for, for, for starters. It says, It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the bed, running down on Aaron's bed, down on the collar of his robe. What a picture. So Aaron, if, if you're not sure, he was the, the very first priest in the tabernacle and when he was anointed when he was sort of set apart for this the special role of being a priest for God's people he had oil poured all over him not not the sort of fossil fuel oil that we think of today but a, an anointing oil is that it's like a perfume a fragrance and you can see the recipe for it if you like in exodus 30 tells you how to mix this anointing oil. It's got all sorts of expensive fragrances like myrrh and cinnamon and cassia. And you mix it all together carefully with olive oil. And it's poured over the priest. Not just a, a few sprinkles, but it's, it's liberally poured all over his body. Firstly, it goes down his hair, then, then onto the bed and his face, and then into his collar, and then probably down his shirt and, and down his back. And his body is covered in this oil. And as a real picture, a real celebration almost, of being set apart and being drenched in the special oil. I was, I was doing some, some cooking once at home, and I, and I just got a little splash of olive oil just, just on my shirt as I was doing it. And I tried to wash it out quickly because, you know, we don't like dirty clothes here. And it wouldn't come out. I don't know if you've ever had oil on your clothes. It's just whatever you try, it doesn't come out. And I've still got the shirt, and it's really annoying that there's a tiny spot of oil that I can always see when I'm wearing it. And I, and I wonder if this is part of the picture, that this oil, it sticks on you, it stays there almost forever. And so as, as Aaron, you saw him there just covered in, in this, this olive, olive oil, this anointing oil, that would have gone all over his robes, all over his clothes, and it would have stayed there forever, it would have stained it in a sense. Not only would it stained it, though, it would have had this most beautiful smell, because the anointing oil was a, a fragrant oil. And the smell of it, wherever you go, was the most beautiful, most expensive perfume probably you can imagine in the time. And wherever he went, you would, you would almost smell the priest coming towards you before you saw him because the aroma of the myrrh and the cinnamon on the air would just come to you before. And so whenever you smelt the smell, whenever you saw his, his clothes covered in this oil, you'd remember that he's been set apart for this job, set apart for worship of the Lord Jesus to, to represent God, to the people, and also to represent the people to God. So this priestly role, it's very significant. And I think this may be part of the picture of why David uses the idea of anointing oil as a picture of unity and something that's good, something that's precious to God's people. So unity is like an everlasting or a, a delightful aroma It's there forever, it's a picture that you are united with God, and and this is the way we are united through this priest. It's a sign of of worship, in a sense, which is what we're all made for as God's people, isn't it? It's a sign of a a right relationship with our Creator, as the priest there stands before you all on behalf of God, representing us. But now today, as we know as Christians, we we don't have a priest, do we, in the sense of, of Aaron's line. For we have a great high priest, the Bible will tell us, in the Lord Jesus. And it's in him, Hebrews 4, will remind us that it's because we have this great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Hebrews 4 says. Jesus, the the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. It says again in Hebrews chapter 1 this time that the Son of God, this great high priest, has a throne. And this throne, it says, will last forever. It is a scepter of justice, a scepter of your kingdom. It says that you have loved righteousness, you have hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. You read that in Hebrews 1. This picture of Jesus, our great high priest, being anointed with oil and now set apart, reigning on high as our priest, mediating on our behalf to God forever. And so when we think about this picture, going back to Psalm 133, this picture of anointing oil, pointing us to a priest, pointing us to worship of God, it leads us ultimately to Christ, the final, the only high priest that we will ever need. And this oil that the Lord Jesus is anointed with is the oil of joy. And that ties us right into Psalm 133. It's pleasant, it's good when brothers dwell in unity. Because you see, when there is unity, when there is peace with those around us and peace with God, there is joy. It is a good and a right feeling. When we are celebrating as one, we are one people by one spirit, and there's real joy, real unity in that. You know, when, when brothers and sisters within this fellowship are, are one together, there's this peace, isn't there? There's a, a picture of joy and, and delight when we can be with one mind. Now, did you notice? Earlier this month, when, when the Olympics were, were showing the, the first round of Olympics, how the news and the, you know, the media and the papers almost every day were just full of joy and celebration, as almost every day front and back page of the papers had these, these pictures of athletes you know, biting their gold medals, big beaming smiles, and, and for those sort of two weeks, there's this idea of unity all around the world, as every every nation comes together to celebrate sporting excellence. And there's this sort of national pride as GB goes and does so well, and, and there's sports, and, and it's, it really lifts the country. I don't know if you felt that. you know, After all the year that we've had, to have these two weeks of just real celebration and joy that another gold medal gets, gets comes through. But do you remember that after the, the final celebration, you know, that Sunday, the closing ceremony, it all sort of winds up. Do you remember what happened to all the news and the media stories On the very next day, on that Monday morning, can you any of you remember the front pages of Monday morning's paper? They were bright red. Code red, it said, for humanity. Do you remember? There's a climate change catastrophe. There's this disaster that's coming. There's a final countdown. There's this report had just been released, probably timed perfectly to end with the Olympics, so that the very next day, the front pages of our paper were back to catastrophe again and disaster and worry and fear and and sort of the scaremongering that we often hear in the news so often. And I just thought the the contrast was so stark. And we had this two weeks of almost great news all the time. And then the very next day, it was back to the divisions and the politicalization of these current events that we see all around us. Now there's a a quick rushing to blame, who is at fault and what can we do to fix it? And governments blaming one another again. And I just thought, how sad it was to go from this real joyful occasion to straight back into mistrust and and disunity all over all sorts of things. Because when you do have real unity, it does bring joy, I think. It It brings real hope and a peace in all that we do. And you see it here mixed among us in this very building tonight. When God's people come together, there's a sense of unity here. You know, I look around and I see young and old I see black and white, we see able and then disabled, we see rich and poor, and and all of us together, are one in Christ. And there's a unity here, and there's a joy that as we greet one another, whatever age they are, we can, we have this common bond through the Lord Jesus that unites us. And I don't think you see this almost anywhere else in the the world, the joy and delight of having so many different people come together in worship of, of our Lord Jesus, And not just here on a a Sunday evening, but during the week in our homes as we open up our homes to each other and we celebrate in our small groups to come together to pray, to help out those who are in need or we give out of our our generosity and our wealth to help those who perhaps don't have as much. We share in one another's grief and, and losses. And we celebrate together at weddings and another child being born. In all these ways, we are a people who are united we, we share with one another in all things, and it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It just brings great joy to see one another, God's people, joining together. It's like precious oil, it says, poured on the head, running down on the bed, abundantly, liberally, excessively. And it goes on and on, this joy of real unity. And it smells great. That's the picture of the psalm here tonight. It brings delight to the heart when you think about what God has done for us. For every relationship, not just with our our maker, but with one another, with parents, with siblings, with brothers and sisters in Christ. A true family, united by one spirit. A great picture. So that's a picture of oil, anointing oil that we see here. All pleasant, good, sweet-smelling thing. And then the second picture that David uses is of Jew. The Jew of Hermon, as if it were falling on Mount Zion. For there it says, "...the Lord bestows his blessing." even life forevermore. And so you have oil, and now we've got water. So can these two pictures, can they mix? Does it, does it really help us see what unity is like? Well, here's a picture, I hope, of, of Mount Hermon. It's at the very northern tip of, of Israel, what's now on the border of Syria and, and Lebanon. And it really is a huge mountain. I didn't realize this until I looked it up this week. It's over 9,000 feet high. It's a towering mountain. It's got a ski resort there now. You can go right to the top. It's not far from, from Israel. And uh, David says here, by looking at this picture, that when God's people live together in unity, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is another name for, for Jerusalem, for the, the hills around Jerusalem, for God's special dwelling place, which is where the temple was at the time but it's nearly 200 miles south of Mount Hermon. So it's quite a way away. And you can sort of imagine the distance. So Mount Hermon up in the north is this huge mountain range. And then you have this smaller hill, Zion. It's only about 2,500 feet high. So it's a good hill, but it's nothing really compared to Mount Hermon up in the north. And so when you sort of compare the two, you feel like a bit like a grasshopper, thinking of this huge mountain range up the north. And then down here in Zion... It's a very special place, but in comparison to the hills up north, it's much smaller. Now, we ourselves have just come back from some mountains over the summer holidays, and we went up to to North Wales, to Snowdonia, and if you've ever been up there, there's sort of big hill ranges and and peaks, and this is the view from our caravan as we looked out um, across the valley, you can see the the distance, the mountains there, and if you go up high enough from our campsite, you can just see Snowdon, and uh, it's covered in snow in the winter, but at the time when we were there, it's just covered in cloud mostly. You can sort of see the, the misty clouds h- hugging to the side of the mountain there. But it's a beautiful picture because you sort of see the clouds forming over the top of the mountains, don't you? And then as it rolls down, it turns into mist and fog and it, it covers the valley below and the dew and it just makes a really lush and green and fertile land. That's what mountains do. And this is the picture that, that I think David is trying to get to in the psalm. He says, from Mount Hermon, this huge mountain range, it brings the dew that waters the land all the way down through Israel. It brings blessing all the way through the whole nation from the heights. It comes down and blesses the lowlands, even the valleys, and even Mount Zion. So I think that's the sort of picture that, that David has as he's writing Psalm 133. He had traveled about the country. He had been hiding in caves for a while. He knew what the country was like, and he, he knew that when you see the mountains, it, just, it can bring you hope, it can lift your spirits, especially when you, when you see the clouds and the, the rain and the dew that it brings. And so as the people singing these songs, were are on their pilgrim up to, up to the temple, up to the feasts every year, you can imagine them singing this song, singing about the, the rains coming from the mountains and as you know, their weary long, long path they're on, they're being satisfied by by seeing a cloud in the distance, thinking, yeah, there's real hope. You know, it's a hot and dry day. But when I think about those mountains and the the dew bringing us life, well, how pleasant, how good that picture is as you're on the road together. So I think these are the sort of pictures that David has in our psalm. The smell of, of anointing oil, how good, how pleasant that is. And then the refreshing spirit of the dew rolling over the mountains, refreshing all that it comes to. Brings life, you know, soothes those weary souls through life. So, for us tonight, then, do, do we have that, you know, that same passion, the, the longing, and the delight, even in unity, as I think David does? You can, you can get the sense of it in the song. You know, just the most joyful things he can think of is how he wants to describe unity. So, is unity for you tonight, for me? Is it one of the best, you know, the most joyful things that you can think of? Thinking about how you relate to one another in this room and and back in our our homes and our community. Is unity like, yes, I long for this. I I delight in it. Or is it more of a, you know, I could take it or leave it type thing. It's good, but it's hard work at times. I don't always like the people I'm with sometimes. So, you know, unity can be tough. What's your attitude to it? And And I think David would like us to see tonight... That it's something that we ought to delight in and enjoy and celebrate at every moment and strive for. Because the opening verses say it is good and pleasant when God's people dwell in unity. So it's good you know, in the sense that it's right. It's something that, that's meant to be. We ought to be united as God's people. It's even what he requires. You know, as God made the universe, he said it was good because it's right. It's, it's how it's meant to be. And unity is part of that goodness. It's good that we are united as we are meant to be united. But of course, as we know, once the fall happened, well, then that unity was broken so quickly, wasn't it? There was jealousy. There was Adam blaming Eve. There were brothers murdering one another. That unity was so quickly shattered when the fall came. But we know still that it's good and we long for it. So the church, as the very bride of Christ here tonight... We can be a picture of unity to this broken world that, that struggles and suffers with disunity so often. And we can be a picture of, of different nationalities, of different ages, different abilities, different backgrounds, all one in Christ Jesus. What a picture that is. And and when we live in unity, it's pleasant, the song says. So not only is it good and right, but it's pleasant. You know, we ought to delight in it. Something that we should enjoy. Not something that we just do begrudgingly, oh, I ought to get on with my neighbors. But no, this is good when we are together. So now think about your spouse, perhaps. Maybe think about your parents. If there's ever some conflict between you, and there's some unresolved argument, maybe. Maybe you've let them down, or maybe they've just disappointed you. Doesn't it feel horrible when there's that, that distance between you, when there's this dark cloud separating the two of you? And we long for it to be resolved, don't we? We know we just we can't stand having this, this disunity. Maybe one of you's given them the silent treatment. You're just walking on eggshells wherever you're around in the, in the same room together. There's nothing good or pleasant about that, that experience. But how often do we want the other person to make the first steps at reconciliation? Now, if only they would apologize to me, then you know, we'd be able to get on again. My pride is often keeping me from taking that step and humbling myself. Now, be the first to say sorry. Be the first to, to start that hard conversation, to fight for unity, even especially even when it's among God's people here. So when things are right, you know, when, you, when you do swallow your pride, then, well, it's good, isn't it? You know, it's like, like that Chanel number no. 5, that smell, the, the pleasant aroma of something good, or you know, a cool shower on a hot summer's night. That's the picture of the song. It's good, it's pleasant when we are right with one another. So this picture of oil, this picture of water, you know, they're not meant to mix in our world in our mind. But together, this, this picture, I think, does show us that it really is good and pleasant when we are dwelling together in unity. Something that seems so separate can actually be, be one together in Christ Jesus. And that's what unites every one of us here tonight. So, so let us be a church that's known for its unity See, there, there are all sorts of things that we could disagree on, aren't there? In, t- in today's culture that we live in, it, it seems that everyone's been forced to, to choose one side or the other on, on every issue. And you have to have full agreement on everything, otherwise you're excluded, aren't you? But when it comes to the church, you know, we, we mustn't have this, this polarization that's been so common in our society. There's a saying, a quite well-known saying, that, that goes like this. In essentials... Unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity, or love. It's quite an old old saying, but but I like it because it says in essentials, as Christians, the things that we must be united over. Those are the things we strive for. We fight. We say yes. It is essential that we are united on on these sort of things. And and when it comes to the church, there aren't many, but there are some that we must be united over, such as how is one saved? Through the gospel. That is, through faith in Christ Jesus alone. There's only one way to be saved. You must be united over the gospel. We must be united over God's word. as the final authority for all of life. There's no higher authority than this, this, this book, the very words of God here. We must be united over this authority over each one of our lives. And who God is himself, the, the Holy Trinity... The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who is our Savior God? We must be united over these essentials in the Christian faith. But in almost every other way, and there are a few other essentials too, but in almost every other way, there, there can be disagreement. And we need to find ways of how we disagree well as Christians, as believers. And it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? How do we disagree with those we, we do love and care for so much? And how do we do it with Integrity. You know, we, we all have different tastes, we all have different preferences, even beliefs about how the Bible should be interpreted over some of the, the non-essential points. What happens at the end times? What happens, how should baptism really work? Over these things, we, we ought to, to show grace and to, to show liberty to one another. There are different styles of worship, different ideas about the passions, the, you know, the things we want to do and what we should be doing as God's people. Allowing liberty in these, these sort of areas, that, that's a good thing. It's needed, I think, in the church. And so for one, reaching out to the youth is the most important thing that we ought to be doing, the next generation. Or for another, maybe, you have this fight for justice, for the for, for poor, for the vulnerable. That, that's surely the, the center of God's heart. And maybe for a third person, what, what, what's their heart? Maybe just a quiet life of prayer and devotion. Maybe that's the highest form of Christian worship. So many different directions we could be taking ourselves as a church, as, as God's people. There's liberty in the way that God has wired us all differently. And we're designed like that, aren't we? That's what Paul says in, in Corinthians. If, if we were all eyes, or if we were all ears, he says, where would the, the sense of smell be? Or you know, where would the idea to even speak come from? See, diversity amongst us is good in the body. It's healthy. But what unites us is Christ. And Christ alone and the essential truth of the gospel. And and this is what I think the very last line of our song tonight points us to. Verse 3. It says, It says, If the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Just think about this picture once more. So there's the towering slopes of Mount Hermon. From there come the clouds, the rain, the dew that that makes Israel such a lush and fertile land. From the heights come life, you know, come blessing, even life forevermore. Now think about what this might point to. You know, even from the highest of heights comes blessing to the lowest of valleys. Who, Who left the highest of heights to come down to this very earth to bring life, to bring blessing to all? The God, and we're thinking about this morning in Philippians, and the God who humbled himself, made himself like a servant, came even obedient to death, it says. This is our God, who's come down from the heights to bring hope and salvation to each one of us. And that's, that's him that, that our psalm tonight ultimately points to. And as I wrap up, I want us, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, because I want to read a small chunk of here, and it sort of really just sums up beautifully What the picture of unity is really like in in the church. It begins by by talking about how Gentiles have been separate from the Jews. We've been excluded from from citizenship in Israel. Ephesians 2. And uh, he says, in our natural state, we're without hope in this world. But then look at this, verse 13. Ephesians 2, verse 13. It says, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we, have, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, it says, the whole building is joined together And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, us here tonight, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That there is a beautiful picture of Christian unity, a building, a temple as it were, each one of us, filled with the very same spirit of God in Christ Jesus as one. And that is the ultimate picture of unity. And how is it possible? It's because God himself left the heights of heaven to come down and bring blessing and life forevermore to all those who would believe in him. And so let's remember then how good and how pleasant this unity is in Christ. To celebrate it, to work at it, to persevere through those difficulties. But ultimately, I think just to praise our God. Like the song is, it's a song of praise. To worship our God for the blessing that comes ultimately from Zion even life forevermore. So let me pray as you think about this some more. Father God, we we thank you so much for the song that we've been looking at tonight. The song that has been sung through through the ages by your people. Celebrating unity with one another, but ultimately with you, with our God, our Saviour. And so Lord, tonight we thank you, we praise and worship you that you left the throne of heaven to come to make us one with yourself, to bring us out of the hopelessness of this broken world and into life forevermore in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you've left us with your Spirit, a Spirit that unites us together in Christ. From all our different backgrounds, wherever we've come from, from all the experiences we've had in life, you bring us together as your people, as one people, by the very blood and body of the Lord Jesus. So we thank you. Lord, please protect us as a, as a people Keep us from disunity, from factions and warring among us. Or will keep us united as one, focusing on the things that are essential, showing grace and liberty, Lord, in every other place. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you together as your people, so that you will be glorified in this world. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.